All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for this wonderful privilege to gather together as family in the unity of the faith. Father, thank you for truth that continues to set us free. Thank you for your grace and your love and for revealing such things to us in time. Thank you for making us vessels of mercy so that grace and love can flow through us to the world that is just seemingly devoid of it in so many ways. Father, thank you for placing us upon a hill as lights to the world so that we might spread the gospel, the, the wonderful news about your Son, to a world that's just in desperate need of it. Father, we pray for those not with us this morning. We pray for their hearts, that their hearts be made right if they are without excuse. We pray for those that are unable to be here but earnestly desire to be so, but for physical reasons or otherwise it cannot be. And of course, we pray most of all for those who are still lost, that the gospel find them and humble them and if your will be done, that we might partake in that activity some way, somehow, in order to bring glory to you. Father, we are most grateful and thankful, of course, for the cross, for your son, for you sending him to cancel out that debt, to make a morning like this even a reality. We do just ask your blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, this message title is, Why the Apostles So Encouraging by Grace They Were Prepared. I want to share with you some encouragement from a member of the congregation that I received uh, this past weekend uh, relative to the latest blog, which is titled Not Too Far From Love. A lot of uh, feedback on this particular blog um, for whatever reason, but uh, I just wanted to share this with you because I'm encouraged by it and I want to always share that encouragement with you. Uh, good read today. Really like the idea of looking for the good in people and encouraging that while accepting each person's affliction as something that God can overcome. I think when people hurt us in their flesh, if we are conscious of the fact that we are all afflicted and recognize the weakness for what it is, it makes the attack easier to withstand and forgive. Amen? Yeah. That was really the gist of that blog. Um, with that said, I just want to dig in. Go to uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. We'll dig in. We'll pick up where we left off this last week, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. It's been a recurring theme in our lessons as of late. So let's continue with this. Talk, an awful lot of talk about weakness from the pulpit. Um, and this is a wonderful place to start. Getting our perspective right on what weakness is how the Bible defines it, um, and such. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I have become foolish. You yourselves compelled me. Actually, I should have been com commended by you, for in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am a nobody. We looked at the three different aspects that were available to us as wisdom in verses 9 through 11 this past week. Uh, but here are some thoughts from this past week's lesson on the idea of weaknesses. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to 11 in view. Think about this. Things such as unforgiveness, judging, jealousy, envy, strife, 
coveting, doubting, etc. Those kinds of things, these are all real weaknesses. Again, unforgiveness, judging, jealousy, envy, strife, coveting, doubting, etc. These are all real weaknesses. While the world tries to focus our attention on human weaknesses, such as strength, intellect, social skills, etc., or the lack of having these things, these areas, if you're not strong, if you're not smart, so to speak, or if you lack social skills, the world tries to get us to focus on those things. What we need to understand is that the weaknesses the Bible speaks to are on a different plane. And so you have to get your arms around. Can you kill that uh, AC, please? You have to get your arms around the differences between what the Bible calls a weakness and what the world calls a weakness, and what the Bible calls true strength and what the world proposes strength actually is. They are completely opposite. And that's been the good work that he's been reminding us of this past week. In fact, the world has fostered human strengths in man, built it up. Things like, you know, physical strength or intellect or social prowess, etc. Those things are built up. I mean, that's what social networking, that's what it's all about. Everybody's got these little avatars that aren't even real. You know, it's them all photoshopped and, you know, on vacations with their so-called lovely families that can't stand each other. But the picture looks good. And so the world doesn't even care. It, it builds it all up, you see, and says, this is what you need to be like. And it's garbage. So the world has fostered human strengths in man, suggesting that this form of strength is what the Bible speaks of, but it most definitely is not. It most definitely is not. Hence, several warnings in the Bible, such as, go to Colossians 3.2. Colossians 3.2. We are not supposed to be setting our minds on the same things that the world sets its mind on. We're not supposed to go that route. So the Bible has several warnings. I'm going to pick, I think, three of them here for you. But I could have gone on and on with this principle. Colossians 3.2. So the Spirit wants us to get our arms around this thing, this set of lies that pervades our own society even. Colossians 3.2. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Everything in this, our society is designed to point our attention or divert our attention to the things the world holds up or esteems. Up here on the board, I'll give you the Amplified just for a little extra clarity on Colossians 3.2. Set your mind and keep focused habitually on the things above, the heavenly things, not on things that are on the earth, which have only temporal value. Do you really think something as fleeting as physical strength or beauty or intellect or any of that stuff has any eternal value whatsoever? And that's what the Bible's telling us. What are we thinking about, people? Again, the world, the world would have us focus on the uh, interests of the human flesh, but this is the first step towards misery. It's the first step towards misery. You want to be miserable? Go ahead and take a bite of the carrot. Whatever the world's holding in front of you, and everybody always has a carrot in front of them. Always. Satan's not stupid. It's probably why a lot of people aren't here today. You can have a better time doing this than actually attending service. You can have a better time doing this instead of actually learning the Word of God face-to-face. -face. You don't have to do that. Oh, we have the Internet now, right? Why not just stay home? Why not just get it on rerun after you've woken up from a hangover? Why not just do this after you've you know, enjoyed your little frolic in the park in the morning with your coffee and your so-called loved one? Why not put all this stuff aside? Why? Go to Matthew 16, 23. Because that's what man does, left to his own devices. He chooses poorly. But that is the first step to misery. 
Oh, for the time, it's, it, it tastes good, doesn't it? Chinese food tastes good, doesn't it? But it, it, it clogs your arteries, and you feel sick after. Is that not fair to say? Every time. How about fast food? Go to McDonald's. Somebody's like, no, nah, I like fast Whatever. Right? You go to fast food, you get sick. You keep eating that. You get sick. Some dude did it for one month straight and almost died. His doctor said, if you don't stop eating McDonald's food, your liver is going to close down and you're going to die. One month, he lived on McDonald's food. It's a big old documentary. And he almost died. But it tastes good, doesn't it? And you drive by and they're shooting fumes out into the... the you're like... It's like the cartoon you just waft over. Next thing you know, you got a Big Mac. You're like, oh, this is so good, right? And then you get stomach cramps later. It's the same thing. It tastes good for the moment, but it's the first step to misery. The world's not stupid. Matthew 16, 23. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. He didn't like the fact that the Lord was going to suffer the way he was going to suffer. So he said, you know, don't, I'll stop them, you know, playing Superman. But that's foolishness. That's foolish. It, feel, it tasted good to Peter, did you see? Just like when we step in and enable people. Oh, I can't let my loved one go through this suffering because it's going to hurt them and it tastes good at the time. The problem is you've just enabled them to a life of deprivation and depression and malcontent and misery. But it tastes good in the moment, doesn't it, while you're saving someone, quote-unquote, while you got your little cape on. That's no good. That's serving your interests, not God's. Go to Philippians 3.18. Philippians 3.18. We do a lot of things that taste good in the moment, but they're the first step to misery for ourselves and others. Philippians 3.18. And there's only so much one man can do. I've been warning all of you. It's actually depressing. You know, you, I'm, it's, you are all faces are lovely. But it's depressing looking out and seeing how few people are here this morning after all the effort that's been coming from this pulpit, all the warnings about being attacked and being dragged away. And where is everybody? Eating a carrot. Boy, that tastes good, though, doesn't it, for the moment? Hope it's worth it, folks. Philippians 3.18 For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite and whose glory is in their shame. And get this, how does he personify them? Who set their minds on earthly things. So if this is the direction of the depraved, and then you turn around and set your minds on the same thing, which direction do you think you're going to go in? The Bible speaks often about this issue. Go to Proverbs 14, 12. Again, we're just amplifying the point, the previous point on the board. I'll show you it again in a moment. Proverbs 14, 12. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Again, the point on the board? Wisdom on weaknesses, things such as unforgiveness, judging, jealousy, envy, strife, coveting, doubting, etc. These are all real weaknesses. While the world tries to focus our attention on human weaknesses such as, I should say, lack of strength, lack of intellect, lack of social skills, etc., what we need to understand is that the weaknesses the Bible speaks to are on a different plane. So you need to drop everything you think you know about strength and weakness that you've gained from the world's knowledge and the world's wisdom. You need to drop, throw it in the bucket if you must. And learn what the Bible has to say about such things. The warning from the pulpit as of late is, know your enemies. Know your enemies. Most of you are like, yeah, I totally know my... No, you don't. 
and I'm speaking as a whole congregation. No, you don't. Because you know what your enemies do? They drag you away from the truth. So the warning from the pulpit as of late is to know your enemies and understand implicitly that you are being lied to all the time. That you are being lied to all the time. If you have a television, you're being lied to. If you have a radio, you're being lied to. If you have books, you're being lied to. If you have friends, you're being lied to. The only thing that can protect you, the, the only thing that can truly protect you is this. Do you understand? This is the full armor of God. There are no saviors other than one, and he's not here right now. To say, don't do that and don't do this. This is him. This is what you have. The word says that the truth shall set you free, implying that lies will lead you back to bondage. Up here on the board, John 8.44, The devil does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You are surrounded by liars. And I'm not trying to be doom and gloom. I'm protecting you. This is your good shepherd saying, open up your eyes. The sad part is the people that need to hear this the most are not here. Isn't that ironic? That always is ironic to me that I'm teaching something and the people that need to hear it the most are the ones that, need, that aren't here. And then I just pray that they have the, I don't know, whatever to get the lesson at some point. When we consider what the world holds up as strengths and weaknesses, we have to consider what the God of this world intends to convey to mankind. What kind of fortitude do you think the devil is going to hold up in esteem? There is no truth in him. Does that make sense? Just think about that. Not a little truth. There is no truth in him. Just ponder that. He's not like kind of a bad guy or something like that. No, this, this, per, this, this creature is evil. And so is the human flesh. This means that everything in this world is backwards. Everything in this world is backwards. It's why we can't ever expect to absorb the thoughts and intentions of those enamored with it and then walk away unscathed. Just a little sidebar on this. Go to 2 Corinthians 7.1. I was reading this this morning. I can't say over my cup of coffee anymore because I can't drink any more coffee. <laughs> now I've been drinking green tea, which is good. But I was reading this this morning, 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Remember, we are surrounded by lies. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting or completing holiness in the fear of God. Let us cleanse ourselves. That means you have an active role in cleansing yourself, in choosing to wash up right here with the Word of God. Listening, obeying the Word of God. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I'll give you MacArthur on this up here on the board. False religion panders to the human appetites represented by both flesh and spirit. While some believers for a time might avoid succumbing to fleshly sins associated with false religion, the Christian who exposes his mind to false teaching cannot avoid contamination by the devilish ideologies and blasphemies that assault the purity of divine truth and blaspheme God's name. In other words, 
If you run with fools, eventually you become foolish. You think you can do it, but you cannot. That is the whole point. That's why you don't run with the world. That's why you don't befriend the world. You try to evangelize the world. That's one thing. You might have to work beside them in a workplace, but you do not befriend the world. And I'm talking about people in your own family. Jesus Christ made no bones about it. He said, I came to divide households. But some of you would rather spend more time with ridiculous, hateful family members than people from the Word of God, people of the faith. Why? Because you're weak. You're not trying to save them. And they're infiltrating you. That's the whole point, and none of you are listening to me. And you're getting contaminated. Nobody's listening. That's really frustrating for a shepherd. Do you understand? How hard do I have to whack you all? I'm talking about people that aren't here right now who are listening online. How hard do I have to whack you? It's unbelievable. Wake up. We are surrounded by lies, my friends, and liars, many of which don't even know they are lying or living or propagating said lies. As Jesus would say, this is the point. This is why, you know, if the people that are drawing people away from this church, away from the Word, were here, I would speak a different story to them because you know why? They're dumb. They don't even know any better. You know who said that? Jesus Christ, Luke 23, 34. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. But that's not you, is it? That's not the people that aren't here this morning, is it? They know better. And they're still not following God's commands. They're still not obeying. They're still frolicking with the world and expecting nothing to come of it. So I don't even, in that case, I mean, to whom much is given, much is required, right? To the person who knows better, shame on them. Shame on them for, for knowing better and still choosing against the Lord and against His commands. But the people who are ignorant, the ones that are lying a lot, most of them don't even know they're living a lie. They don't even know what they're doing. They're lost. We gave the practical side of this a good look on Thursday, something at least worth um, briefly reviewing this morning. And as the Spirit has stated unequivocally to us all, be careful who it is you call friend. Be careful who it is you call friend. Your enemies are smart enough to use those closest to you to infiltrate your forces to sneak behind the armor of God when your defenses are down. King David lamented over this realization, as some of you also have in the past. Some of you have learned your lesson, taken your stripes, so to speak, been burned. Some of you, probably many of the ones that are not here this morning, are still in the midst of learning this lesson. It's a hard pill to swallow when you realize that loved ones are working for the enemy, against God, that is. Go to Psalms 55.12. This is David. It is a tough pill to swallow when you realize loved ones are working for the enemy. Psalm 55.12. But Jesus Christ, again, he made no bones about that. He said, I don't even care if the closest people to, you know, those ones in, the fa- in your own family. They, too, are negative. What do you think? Just because they're in your family, somehow they're excluded from being evil? Somehow they're excluded that God makes, like, provision because they're in your family? That somehow it's okay? Do you know what that's called? That's called partiality. God is impartial. 
He calls a spade a spade. Jesus Christ says, I'm going to separate families. Because some in the family are going to love me, and some are not. And some are going to stand up for me, and some aren't. Psalm 55, 12. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me. This is David. Think about this. Then I could bear it. In other words, if it was from without, you know, David was like, you know what, if, this, if these attacks were coming from without, I could deal with it. You know, David was a fighter, remember. You, you didn't want to scrap with David. But that's not what hurt him. You see? For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it, nor it is one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide myself from him. But it is you, a man my equal, my companion, and my familiar friend. We who had sweet fellowship together, walked in the house of God in the throng. Let death come deceitfully upon them. Let them go down alive to Sheol, for evil is in their dwelling, in their midst. As for me, I shall call upon God, and the Lord will save me, deliver him. Evening and morning and at noon, I will complain and murmur, and he will hear my voice. He will redeem my soul in peace from the battle which is against me, for they are many who strive with me. God will hear and answer them, even the one who sits enthroned from of old, Salah, with whom there is no, cha- uh, no change, and who do not fear God. He has put forth his hands against those who are at peace with him. He has violated his covenant. His speech was smoother than butter, but his heart was war. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Do you see how David recounts the manner in which these friends of his were able to damage him? It's the old saying, right? Who needs enemies when you've got friends like that? What David describes is a situation not unlike many of you are in right now. You have loved ones, people close to you that have your ear, so to speak. And because of their access to your attention and your concern, you lend them your ear, which is really a dinner bell for evil thoughts. It's just a dinner bell. It's like ding, 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 time for some supper. Here, let me lend you my ear, O evil one, because you're my son or my daughter or my uh, mother or my father or my uncle, my favorite uncle. Let me lend you my ear. Let me listen to all the garbage that's literally spewing out of that decrepit mouth of yours. Let me listen to all your plans and all your worldly gain and how you're going to dominate this world and how you're going to make me so proud of you. Disgusting disgraceful, and we lend our ear to it every single day. Why? Why? Jesus called it. Why can't you? Your shepherd's doing you a big favor. He's calling it. Why can't you? You listen to them. You rejoice with them. You even celebrate with them as they set out on their conquests for worldly things. Shame on you. You celebrate depravity. You celebrate those people who are literally enemies of the cross. You celebrate with them. Just think about that. It's one thing to see it, pray on it, pray for them. It's another thing to celebrate with these people. You, my friends, are being seduced up here on the board. And let me give you a little wisdom on how seduction works. Seduction doesn't happen in an instant. It happens slowly. It takes time to supplant norms and standards. If seduction's true nature were seen right away, you'd be offended by its ugliness. Seduction is as patient as it is evil. That's seduction. Again, seduction doesn't happen in an instant. It happens slowly. It takes time to supplant norms and standards. 
If seduction's true nature were seen right away, you'd be offended by its ugliness. Seduction is as patient as it is evil. If these things are true, and the Bible says that they are, then do not be surprised when you have the same kind of revelation that King David did when his true enemies took their masks off. When he saw behind the mask, behind the facade, And instead of them being outside the garrison, they were on the inside eating dinner with him. I guarantee there are people that should, that should be here that aren't, that had dinner with the enemies of the cross last night. That's a fact. Doesn't that sound familiar to you? John... 13, 26, Jesus then answered, The betrayer is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. So when he had dipped the morsel, he took it and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Jesus Christ had dinner. Judas was on the inner circle, you see. And just for the record, the only difference between Jesus and David is that Jesus knew that his betrayer was eating with him and those in his inner circle. That was the only difference. But he had a betrayer eating dinner with him, just like David did. While this surprised the apostles, it was no surprise to Jesus. Why? Because he had wisdom. What do you think the Spirit's trying to impart to this congregation? Have some wisdom. Stop playing these ridiculous games with the world. Stop playing church. Stop looking at me. It's a lot easier to look at me and disagree with me, isn't it? Than it is to look here and attempt to overpower the truth. Because you can't. John 2, 24 and 25 in the Amplified Classic, but Jesus, for his part, did not trust himself to them because he knew all men, and he did not need anyone to bear witness concerning man, needed no evidence from anyone about men, for he himself knew what was in human nature. He could read men's hearts. Do you understand the nature of the flesh? And if you do, what are you doing fellowshipping with it? And I'm talking to the entire congregation, including people that aren't here right now, because I'm hoping they watch this message, if not live, at least after the fact. What are you doing? So the question that begs answering should be obvious up here on the board. If Jesus understood the proximity of evil to his person, then why shouldn't we? Was Jesus the only one that was able to see things? Of course, he knew, obviously much more than we do. But with divine wisdom, why can't we see it? We can, because we turn a blind eye. It's funny how much evil we will see in people we don't like, but impartiality we glaze over. It's unbelievable. That's partiality. And Satan uses it to his benefit. Do you understand? He knows that you're partial. So he doesn't use this person. He uses this one. The one that's right here. Right here. He doesn't use that person. Because like David said, if I see it from without, I can just like, you know, defend. But this one... Oh, this one hurts. But you've got to at least call a spade a spade and stop playing pretend. As if they're not jerks. As if they're not enemies of the cross. If they're not blasphemers of the Spirit himself. If they're not evil. If most of them are going to rot in hell. And yet you're fellowshipping with them. Some of you are playing pretend. Oh, now they're saved. They might not be. And you're encouraging them by celebrating them in their ridiculousness, in their antithetical lifestyles. 
Yeah. I know. We're not, we're not here to get along with haters. If Jesus understood the proximity of evil to his person, then why shouldn't we? We are, after all, seeking the very mind of Christ, are we not? Covert ops. Don't ever be shocked at where attacks originate from. The most devastating of all are the ones that originate from your inner circle of friends and loved ones. Jesus wasn't surprised, so neither should you be. Don't ever be surprised where the most devastating attacks are going to come from. They originate from your inner circle of loved ones and friends. You don't believe me? Look around. You don't believe me? Think about why people have quit on the faith. Why? As the Bible says, we've got to keep our eyes on those who may be upsetting to the stability in our souls. We have to keep our eyes on those who may be upsetting to the stability in our souls. Go to Romans 16, 17. I don't know how else to say it. Romans 16, 17. I think it's just that people flat out, in partiality probably, refuse the truth. Literally. Refuse it. And they'll say, no, that's Pastor Ed's opinion. No, it's not. I've already given you ample scripture, not to mention almost 10 years worth behind a pulpit. And the last couple of years have been emphatic on this point. Romans 16, 17. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn away from them. For such men are slaves. That is the nature of the person who causes dissensions and hindrances. That is their very nature. They are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Up here on the board, slaves of their own appetites. This refers to individuals who are acting on fleshly instincts to satisfy their own self-interests. They're slaves to their own self-interests. And you are just a stepping stone. If they can use you, they will. They'll even tell you they love you. I love you. It's a game to them. Do you understand? You are a pawn. And there's nothing worse than being used. Slaves of their own appetites. This refers to individuals who are acting on fleshly instincts to satisfy their own self-interest. They are driven by their desire to please themselves. They are selfish lovers. The only reason, technically, you're even in their life is because you have some value to them. Have you ever noticed how people, some people, are in and out of your life? Have you ever noticed that? And when you have a real utility, a usefulness to them, oh, they're all over you. They love you to the nines. And then when they don't, they're gone. You don't even hear from them. They're gone. I'm going to tell you this right now. You have no utility to me other than maybe encourage me. I'm here because I love you, because I love the Lord more than I love all of you combined. That's seeking you commendably. Now, if I was a selfish lover, I'd say, what could I get out of these people? Pass the bucket around again, will you? Give me a little approbation. I'm in need. Tell me how wonderful I am. Tell me I'm great. Tell me what a wonderful orator I am. Let me polish up my skills a little bit. Let me impress you. That's a selfish lover. You don't think those people don't exist behind pulpits? 
Selfish lovers use you. You know it, and you know it in your heart. Some of you are parents. Some of you are brothers and sisters. Some of you are children. It's very possible that parents use you. Children are famous for using their parents, of course. You are a utility to them because they're selfish, because that's what the flesh is. It's driven by selfish love. And when your utility runs out, they're gone. You know exactly what I'm talking about, some of you, don't you? When you're no longer used to them, mommy and daddy, they're gone. And when you're a use, they're on top of you, like stink on poop. They're all over you. And because you're thirsting for it so badly, you just suck it up like a sponge in your little impartial ways. A little more on this, if you haven't had enough. Selfish lovers, they love self, not others, regardless of what comes out of their mouths. Don't we always want to hear what we want to hear? We know that they're decrepit individuals, but whenever something good comes out of their mouth, we're like, oh, I knew it was there, honey. I knew it was right there all along. That's you looking for an excuse to be partial. Looking for an excuse to celebrate someone who can't stand the cross. They may even lie to you and say, no, I don't. I love Jesus. No, they don't. You shall know them by their what? Okay. You know what about selfish lovers? Here's what the Bible says. Psalm 5, 8 to 9. O Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my foes. Make your way straight before me. There is nothing reliable in what they say. Enemies of the cross, which really should be your enemies, by the way, considering your commission on life. There's nothing reliable in what they say. Why? Because it can change this quick. As long as you have a utility, oh, it's good. But as soon as your usefulness to the, a selfish lover runs out, they throw you aside. Make no bones about it. So therefore, there really is no trust that you can have. There's nothing reliable in what they say because it's all driven for selfish reasons to satisfy their own appetites. There is nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Be careful of flattery. Be careful it's, they're not saying stuff that you just want to hear. Again, Romans 16, 18. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the heart's of the unsuspecting. Here's the other aspect of this that we learned on Thursday. Selfish lovers don't go after the strong or the wise. They, being weak themselves, specifically target the hearts of the unsuspecting. Do you don't think that a selfish lover literally targets someone who loves them? Just put that in perspective. They know you love them. That kind of love typically comes with a weakness. You don't think a manipulative, selfish lover doesn't use that against you? Are you that pathetic and stupid to not realize what they're doing? No, because you like the words that come out of their mouth, even though you know they're lies and they're motivated by their own appetites. You like those words, so you give them a free pass. That's not integrity. That's an abomination. Selfish lovers don't go after the strong. They go after the weak. They target the hearts of the unsuspecting. Up here on the board. Refers to those individuals who may lack the wisdom and therefore the armor Ephesians 6.11 in view, to properly defend themselves. Selfish lovers are weak, and so they target the weak. 
They say all the right things to gain their advantage. So what's the Spirit saying to all of us? Be careful. Be careful. Because the flesh has no scruples. Selfish lovers have no boundaries. <laughs> Here's the warning, 2 Peter 2.19, for by what a man is overcome, by this is he, he is enslaved. Some of you are wrapped around someone else's finger and the other person isn't even of Christ. That's unbelievable. Some of you are wrapped around the fingers of people that don't even like Christ, who denounce them, who want nothing to do with them. Maybe they don't denounce them. Maybe they just buy their fruit. They show that they want nothing to do with them. And they got you wrapped around their finger. Why? It's ridiculous, right? I mean, I, I, I just tried to laugh and I couldn't. I feigned laughing. Because you're all so uptight right now. Probably about 50% of you have your arms crossed. Up, up, up. Everybody's like, up, up, up. Not me, not me. I'm not the assaulting person here. I'm your friend. Have I become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth? This job's hard. It's unpleasant sometimes. But you need to hear what you need to hear. Because some of you are living a lie. A lot of people that aren't here this morning are living a lie. And they want to play pretend. And they'll hate me for this message. Maybe they'll turn it off. Maybe they've just turned it off. I don't know. I don't care. I'm not here to serve you. I'm here to serve the Lord. And the Lord says that's BS. He didn't talk like that, but you know what I mean. Maybe he did. We'll find out, won't we? Just reflect on this, just to change gears a little bit. Some of the most attractive people, remember this point on the board, for by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. Some of the most attractive people you will ever meet are as ungodly as they are attractive. Let me say it again. Some of the most attractive people you will ever meet are as ungodly as they are attractive. In a world that esteems beauty above most other aspects of life itself, it's easy to get caught up in it. But here's what the Bible has to say about beauty. Go to Proverbs 31.30. Proverbs 31.30. I think America, as a general statement, likes to think it's more beautiful than the rest of the world. Is that fair? I think we think as a country we're more beautiful, and I think we think as individuals we're more beautiful. And you know what? The rest of the world believes it, too. I've traveled enough to realize that most other countries look at the United States as an idol as something to behold, something beautiful. And I say, oh my goodness, stay where you're at. These people are ugly. Oh yeah, they, they look good on the outside, but they're whitewashed tombs, most of them. Proverbs 31.30, Charm is deceitful and beauty is what? Vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. The problem with beautiful people is that they get stuck. Now listen. The problem with beautiful people is that they get stuck. It turns out that beauty is the demise of many people in this world. And it's not just those who are smitten with it from without. It's also those who are esteemed for possessing it and the demise originates from within. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain. I didn't say that. That's the Bible. Look around. Look around. What does the world esteem? When's the, honest to goodness, unless they're trying to make some kind of weird point or you know, some kind of social justice warriors got their way, go to the grocery store today and look at the magazine rack. How many ugly people are on the rack? How many people, how many people are on the covers that aren't Photoshopped, that aren't even real? Nobody looks that good. Cindy Crawford is quoted as saying that. Remember Cindy Crawford? She's like the, one of the first supermodels. 
She said, Cindy Crawford is not Cindy Crawford. That's not me on the covers. You know how much touch-up I've got done? She said it herself. What you guys are idolizing doesn't even exist. So this, probably the covert side of beauty is that the demise originates from within, even. For example, the most beautiful creature, besides Jesus, of course, you know what I'm saying, physically. Ezekiel 28, 17a, Satan, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. He said, look at me, I'm better looking than everybody. I'm better looking than all my peers. And I'm smart and I have more power. I guess I'm awesome. Isn't that what the world tells you? God gives you, I hate to say it, a gift. It could be used as a gift. I don't know, it doesn't matter. God makes you in such a way that you're appealing to other people's eyes. And then you want to turn around and take credit for that? You want to set your self-esteem on that thing? What did just happen on inside? What happened? You got corrupted. It's the same thing that happened with Satan. Your heart was filled, lifted up because of your beauty. That's disgusting. Honest to goodness. It's disgusting. I'm serious. Scott. You're the worst one. You're just so handsome. You just lift it up. I'm being punk. It's unbelievable what we do. One very sobering verse in the Bible on the topic of beauty, up here on the board, throw this out there, 1 Corinthians 4, 7, for who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? <laughs> Seriously? The world says, oh, you're so pretty, you're so handsome. I kind of am. It's all for me. It's because I am. It's unbelievable. The easiest way to ruin beauty is to become arrogant about it. So in my, in my experience, I'm not saying this is biblical. I'm sure I could find scripture to at least hint upon it. In my experience, most of the <coughs> ugliest people I've ever met are the most beautiful. They certainly exhibit the most ugliest personal characteristics. And I pray for them. I pray for them. Because to me, in this world, beauty is a challenge. So just to be careful, or just be careful that you are not being tied to the world through something as superficial as beauty, go to 2 Corinthians 6.14. 2 Corinthians 6.14. Boy, it is quiet in here. How come? Should I start asking? Asking for testimonies? I'll give you the mic. You can testify. You get a light testimony. That's so beautiful. That's it. Drop the mic. <laughs> right? It's disgusting. Serious. 2 Corinthians 6.14. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? What are we doing? But they're so good looking. Yeah. Wake up. But they're rotten inside. They're ugly. They don't like the Lord. They've essentially told you so. That's not beautiful at all. That's ugly. As the Spirit's been teaching us for years, up here on the board, beware. Any person, say it with me. Any. Say it again. Any. Any person who's trying to take you away from the love of God is an enemy of God. I don't care who it is. I don't care if they're your, what do they call it, identical twin That'd be an interesting study. I don't care who they are. I'm just saying. 
wonder, right? Identical twins. I wonder if they both believe or both unbelieve. That's an interesting thing. They, I believe there's a choice, so don't get me wrong, but interesting study. It doesn't matter who, anyone, right here. Most likely, they're right here. That's an enemy of God. What else does a pastor have to say? Some of you would look in the mirror, I guess, maybe before this morning's lesson and say, oh, you know, if I was to guess, I'm pretty mature. On a scale from 1 to 10, maybe I'm a 7 or 8 out of 10 of spiritual maturity. And yet you're the same people, the same people who are frolicking day in and day out, who are partial beyond explanation to the enemies of God, to the enemies of the cross, to the enemies of Christ. It's unflippin' believable. Your enemies are constantly trying to find new ways to control you. Like I said, some of you are wrapped around their little pinky. So be on guard. They are not seeking what's best for you. Remember that. Selfish lovers are looking for what's best for them. You are a pawn to them. You have a certain utility about you at present. But you know and I know, as soon as that value to them is gone, they're going to disappear, just like they have a hundred different times in your life. They're going to take off and leave you and, I don't know, gee, I wonder what happened to so-and-so. What do you mean what happened? Isn't it obvious? You don't get any use to them anymore. Go to Galatians 4.16. Some of you are parents. I know that hurts. I know that hurts. But some of you are parents. Some of you are close friends. Some of you are children. Some of you are cousins. You might be surprised what people say to gain your favor, including throwing around the very name of our Lord and Savior. If I just mix in a little more Jesus talk, I'll get your ear. Yeah, just convince me that you love Jesus and we'll talk some more. They're not stupid. You are. Galatians 4.16 So have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? You know what? They eagerly seek you, not commendably, but they wish to shut you out so that you will seek them. But it is good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner, and not only when I am present with you. Up here on the board. Eagerly sought in a commendable manner. You don't want to be sought any other way. I hope you realize, honest to God, this is what's happening here this morning. I know it's a tough lesson. I know a lot of people are probably churning on the inside. But you're being sought commendably. I have no look. You're going to go home. I'm going to go home. Right? What other purpose do I have here? I'm not a megalomaniac. Half the time, honest to goodness, I'm going to be totally honest with you. Half the time, these lessons, I don't, at face value, I don't want to teach them. I'm tired of it. Will you guys just get better already? I'm tired of it. I'm serious. It's a battle. I'm so sick of it. I'm a nice guy, I swear. I'm like to myself. I'm private. I'm just kind of a regular guy. What other purpose do I have here? It's not like I'm making a lot of money. You know what I'm saying? That can't be my motivation either. I mean, what am I here for then? You answer that question. But this is what it is to be sought eagerly and commendably. You you see, you're not going to get this from those people that are using you. They're going to tell you lies, that they are seeking you commendably. But they're not. There's an ulterior motive. You have a utility to you. Maybe you're still the one spooning out money to them. Maybe the one still spooning out a little love when they nick their knees and, you know, got in God knows how many ridiculous relationships. Maybe you're the one who's still doling out all these little things every so often. And you're just a hoe. I'm serious. Trading favors for favors. 
That's Satan's economy. But that's not being eagerly sought in a commendable manner. What does true grace look like? You know what true grace looks like? There are no strings attached. There are no ulterior motives. You don't want to be sought any other way. A godly person courts others to Christ or self in marriage, specifically. An ungodly person seduces others away from Christ. It's all about control. It's all about control. Why do you think the... Um, why do you think the wealthiest people in our country often run for government? Because they found out that they've got all the money already. What's next? Power. What's the last frontier? Power. Why? It's all about control. The first thing a selfish lover intends to do is separate their victims from the love of Christ. The first thing a selfish lover intends to do is separate their victims from the love of Christ. The first thing a selfish lover intends to do is separate their victims from the love of Christ. For the love of Christ, I'm not going to do that for you again. I'm tired of enabling you. The very first thing they will do is separate you from that. Do you understand? That's the first thing they will do. Stop thinking biblically. Stop thinking with discernment. Stop thinking with partiality. If I can get you to do that, see, I've got you away from the power of Christ even, the Word of God. I've got you a little filthied up, a little lathered up in some muck and some mire. Now I can control you. They will suggest there are other ways even to happiness. This is the antithesis of up here on the board, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, and the Amplified. We are destroying sophisticated arguments and every exalted and proud thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought and purpose captive to the obedience of Christ. To separate you from the obedience of Christ. That is the first step. That is the first step in controlling you. Because if you're obedient to Christ, who controls you? He does. He does. That doesn't work for the flesh. That doesn't work for a selfish lover. Selfish lovers want to put you in a little box that they can tote around. You ever see one of those little chihuahua boxes? You're the chihuahua looking out the little screen. Well, that was offensive. Oh, that's what's offensive? Maybe you're offensive to Christ. Maybe that's the real problem. Maybe your whole life is offensive. Maybe who you hang around with is offensive. Maybe what you hold captive is offensive to the Lord. Maybe the things you're enslaved to are offensive to him. Maybe those you're giving partiality to is offensive to him. And stop trying to justify it. Stop right there. Stop trying to justify your ridiculousness. It is what it is. People are people. Call a spade a spade. But stop lying about it. And stop celebrating people that can't stand Christ. And stop playing pretend. Our goal is undistracted devotion to the Lord. That is what is coming from this pulpit. Undistracted devotion to the Lord. I don't want to hear any more crap about this person or that person or why you're not here this morning. I don't want to hear it anymore. I really don't. And neither does the Lord. What did Paul say? I only want to know Christ and Him crucified. Amen? That's it. That's all I want to know. Enough. Enough. 
And say that to yourself. This isn't Pastor Red. Say it in the mirror. Say, enough's enough. Enough. I'm not going to be stuck with you idiot. Not you. I'm not talking about Say this in your own life. I don't want this anymore. I'm not going to buy lies anymore. I'm not going to be partial anymore. We need to commit ourselves to the truth, to the Lord, that is. That's why we're here. That's why I'm here. I don't have any ulterior motives. I love you. This is what it means to be sought eagerly and commendably. Something your Christ's enemies don't know how to do. And some of your Christ's enemies are a lot closer to you than I am. Some of them live in your houses. We need to commit ourselves to truth. Either you want it or you don't. And all I can tell you in closing is that the truth is what sets you free. This is about freedom. You know what? Last time I checked, freedom isn't free. You have to fight for it. You have to strive for it. You have to go for it. You have to seek diligently the things here. And God's given you a whole lot of help in this vessel. Amen? Okay, that's insulting. I'm just going to close. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege of studying your word here this morning. <sighs> Set us free, Father. Wash over us with the word. Please, please, please. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen.